it, 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 there's, there's a lot going on in the world, but when you boil down to it, the reason we have so many complications in the world today is because there is an unseen war being fought for the lives and the souls of mankind. And there's a war going on between good and evil, and you don't see it. Just like when you're sitting in this room, we have a security team that is defending you, and you don't see it. And that's by design. We don't want you to know everything that's going on, but we do have a security team, and, and there's, there's people that are doing things that you don't see, but they're keeping you safe. Well, there's also a, a war going on that is determined, and you can't see it, it's determined to affect your life. And there's evil forces trying to affect you, but there's also an unseen hand that's keeping the evil away from you. Ministering angels, Hebrews calls it, that, that are dispatched to keep you safe and protected. And that's, that's what this sermon series has been about because the world's interested in things, but the, they, they, they promote the evil and the wicked. But we want to promote who's really in charge in here. Somebody say amen. So we're going we're gonna to repeat this, and I don't know how often we're going to do it, but I just feel like we should. Job 42 and 2 is our theme verse for this year, and I just want us to read it together, um, if, if we could. Job 42 and 2, this is what God has given us for the year, uh, and this is what this whole sermon series has been about. Ready? Begin. I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. Amen. Somebody say amen for the word of the Lord. And yet, we're going we're gonna to preach a sermon this morning called Bound. So, God's Word can't be hindered, but something is keeping us bound. And for three months, we've been trying to answer one question. Because we've talked about the little boy in Mark chapter 8, whose daddy tried to get the evil spirits released from him. His daddy brought this little boy to church, to the disciples. And ask the disciples, please help my little boy. And they could. And I don't like that. I refuse to pastor the church of could not. And, and I, 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 I relinquish how much pain it causes me to think of parents that have brought their children to churches uh, through the years. And found out that the disciples of Jesus could not. And, and that's not setting well with me. So there's a hindrance. If God's word can't be hindered. And yet, we could not. Something's wrong. And that's what we've been trying to figure out for three months is what is the hindrance? What is it? Is it the devil? Is it because we don't have proper instruction from the pulpit? Or maybe the preacher stopped sweating like he used to. Maybe that's the problem. But what, what is it that is hindering us? So, so let me begin this morning. And, and by the way, I've got a million scriptures. I'm going to give them all to you today. I'm loaded for bear. I hope you're not in a hurry. I hope you've not been fasting because you might get weak and faint before I'm done today. But I have to get this finished because next week is a special week. And, and I'm not carrying this over into Easter. So I have to finish. But let's begin this morning by clearing something up. Number one, how many times have you... Or somebody you know said something like this, man, the devil is really attacking me. Or the devil is really attacking my kids. Or the devil is really attacking my job. Or the devil's really attacking my marriage. We have talked in this series about things like curses. Curses that are passed from generation to generation. Iniquities that are passed from generation to generation. The last two weeks we have learned about yokes. 
And, and, and I showed you what a yoke was. It was put around the neck of a young oxen. Because the devil knows if he can yoke you when you are young, that you will grow up with that yoke around your neck and you will never know what freedom feels like. And, and, and so, so they, they yoke you when you are young. So if you're here and you wasn't here last week or the week before, and something happened to you when you were young, and, and, and by that I mean you were mishandled by someone that should have protected you, someone violated you when you were young, someone hurt you when you were young, you were introduced to something like pornography when you were too young to even process what was being, being exposed into your life. And you know, sitting here today, that the repercussions of that has followed you through the years. You realize that a lot of why you struggle today is because of what you went through back then. I want you to know you're in a safe place because you're not alone. There are people sitting everywhere and there's one speaking to you that knows the pain you carry. Because I was also molested when I was a child. I was physically, mentally, emotionally, and sexually abused as a child. I had those yokes put around my neck. I, I know what it's like to live until my adult life with the repercussions of what happened to me. I didn't ask for that. And can I tell you this? When I was abused as a child, here's what I learned later in life. So I'm giving you free therapy. When I was abused as a child, it put something inside of me that did not belong. And I fought that my whole life. So I had a lot of illicit relationships. I had a lot of malice in my heart. I fought anger and hatred and blackness and filth and things in my life. And I was responsible for my choices. But the iniquity was placed in me because the bondage was put on me by somebody when I was young. So I want you to know that there was, there's things inside of me that I still fight today. Now, we learned last week that there is an answer to the yoke, and it's called the anointing. Now, now we learned that the anointing will break the yoke and lift the what? Burden. So every yoke has a burden attached to it. And maybe you, maybe you have been haunted your whole life because you can't be the mother you wanted to be because of that yoke that was put on you. Maybe you've tried to be a, a good husband, but you never were modeled how to be a good husband because you were raised by an alcoholic who put a yoke on you. That's your burden. They were the ones who did it, but they, they put the yoke of burden on you. Our son, I'm, I'm a pastor of a growing church. A lot, of you, a lot of you think that our family is like a model or, or, or whatever for, for, for you, but I, our son has, has had a, a yoke of addiction on his life for years, and we've carried the burden. Everyone attached to him has carried his burden. Some of us have a burden because we're always trying to protect his image. We're always trying to keep things under wraps because that's our burden. And now he's got a baby that's carrying that burden and a, and a wife that carries that burden. And you understand what I mean. So, so the, it takes the anointing. And, and, and I didn't find that out for a long time. I, I thought I had to work harder. I thought I had to dig in. I thought I had to bury it. If you just don't talk about it, it don't exist. No, friend. You press it down and eventually it comes oozing out of you. Because whatever's in you is eventually going to come out of you. So you've got to break some things. And the Bible says the anointing will break the yoke of bondage. So here's my first goal today. Are you ready? I'm going to define for you biblically how much power your enemy has in your life. 
Because I used to stay confused. I used to go to church about four nights a week. When I first got saved, man, I went to church everywhere. I don't recommend anybody doing that. I don't. Because you get weird theology when you go chasing everything going on. Because you're like, i got to get some church. Because, see, I tore it up for the devil for so long. I thought, man, i got to get in. i got to get really involved in church. And I didn't realize every preacher don't preach the same stuff. And, and, and I used to stay so confused when I first got into church. Because if you listen to a whole lot of preachers and a whole lot of believers, you'll get this image that you've got this real good God and this real bad devil and they are co-equals. And they wake up every morning and start fist fighting over your soul. But what I want to set the record straight this morning is, there is no fight with God and anybody. Because God is unmatched, He is unequaled, and He is the undefeated heavyweight champion of the universe. That's what Easter's about. Here's what the Bible says. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures today. You ready? 1 Peter 5 and 8 says this. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. Whose enemy? My enemy. Your enemy. The devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. You know what the Bible just told you? The devil is your enemy, not God's. But God does have an enemy, and it might surprise you to find out who it is. Uh, throw up Romans 8 and 7, if you would, and I'm going to ask the congregation to start reading it. Ready? Read. Because. Because the carnal mind is enmity. That word enmity means actively opposed or hostile towards something. Your carnal mind is hostile against God. In other words, the only enemy God has is your mind. The devil has been thoroughly defeated. God has no spiritual enemies. Our thinking is God's enemy. Can I go deeper? What we move on to this week is a word that the Bible uses called strongholds. Hmm? And to me, honestly, strongholds, I saved it for the end of this sermon series because they are much worse than curses. They are much worse than yokes. Because curses can be broken, we learned. Yokes can be destroyed by the anointing. But strongholds aren't broken immediately. You won't come up to the altar and have me put an oily cross on your forehead and break a stronghold. Because you have to deliberately pursue tearing down a stronghold. I'm going to teach you about that today. Because they have to be intentionally attacked. What is a stronghold, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Strongholds are castles, fortresses that are built in your mind. Strongholds reflect what is in your thinking. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says it like this. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means they're not flesh and blood. They're not guns and knives and tanks and planes. But they're mighty through God. To the what? Pulling 
down of strongholds. So my warfare is against strongholds, okay? I, I, I can't get you up here and pray over you and break these things. Because if you read that correctly, it says you have to pull them down. So my warfare, let's straighten some things up. I, I'm going to help you. I'm going to correct some theology in you, okay? Because maybe you went to the same church as I did and you got as confused as I did. I used to think God and the devil was fighting over me. Can I, can I help you? My warfare is not to win. Jesus already won. This battle is completely finished. Do you understand that? The, my battle now is not to win warfare. It is to get my mind straight and come into agreement with what God already did, which was completely defeat the enemy. Because you can be saved and get your heart right, but have your mind wrong. So you can get saved and your heart is now with God, it's complete, it's whole, it's being restored. But if this thing goes off the rails, all the things God told you doesn't act out in your life. Can I help you? Demons can be cast out in a minute. I've seen it, it's ugly. People always talk about how they want to do stuff. See, I'm not one of these people that sees an angel every Thursday. Some people... Every time they open the door, they say, well, I saw a cloud in the sky, and it was God showing me that this was, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not one of them people. I'm also not one of them people that prays in tongues to decide whether I want Fruit Loops or Apple Jacks. I just, I just go ahead and make my own, my own choices. But some, some people are so spiritually minded, they're no earthly good. And, 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 and I'm not one of these people that, that sees a devil behind every bush and, and an angel when I go to sleep at night, okay? So, so my, my mind being on God does not necessarily mean I'm seeing supernatural things. What it means is I'm plugged into what he said. Let me go a little bit deeper. See, demons can be cast out. I've done it. I've seen it. I've been around it. I've experienced it. It's ugly. But they can be cast out in a moment. But strongholds, strongholds have to be pulled down. So... I'm constantly preaching to you to give no place to the, that's what James says, right? Give no place to the devil. That means don't open a door. Some of you have opened doors to pornography. And you know what happens when you do that. Some of you have opened the doors to affairs. You know what happens. Some of you have opened the doors to sorcery or witchcraft or rebellion or stealing or lying. And once you open the door, that lets the devil in. I don't have time to preach that, but go over and read Matthew how you cast out one devil and that devil goes seeking dry places and when it can't find any, it comes right back to the place it was cast out of, but he don't come by himself. He brings seven more, more powerful than himself, and then they all jump in. Now instead of one devil, you got eight devils and they're more powerful than the one you got rid of the first time, okay? So, 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 so devils can be cast out, but strongholds take some doing. You have to be intentional to get rid of strongholds. So doors in your spirit. You have an eye gate, an ear gate, a mouth gate, a feel gate. Hey, I, I, I don't have time to preach all of this, but when you open doors to a devil, you allow devils to come in. Strongholds are the castles that the devil builds in your mind. So even if the devil gets cast out, he still owns property. 
Even if you get rid of the influence, he still has access. So, so, so look what verse 5 says. Casting down arguments. Pay attention to that. Grab hold that word. If you've got a Bible, highlight that word, arguments. Casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now stop right there. I went to the old church where they taught you to bring yourself under obedience. Which means you dressed the right part. You acted the right part. The women had the right hairdo. We wore the right length of sleeves. But none of that's what that brings down strongholds. The strongholds are only brought down when you bring your thoughts. Because you can dress up a, a, a monkey in a, in a tuxedo. But all you've got is a well-dressed monkey. It, that, that doesn't change the way he thinks. He still acts the same way even though you have changed his thinking strongholds are like castles in your mind that stand against the knowledge of God so how this works is this you read your Bible man I jumped to a conclusion there that I shouldn't have some of you read your Bibles (laughs) or maybe you come here on Sunday maybe I gave y'all way too much credit (laughs) You come here on Sunday where the Bible's being read. (laughs) And and the Word of God goes forth. And all of a sudden in your head, you're hearing the Word of God. But there's something already there. And what is there is fighting that Word. Are you with me? So an argument starts breaking out in your mind. If I get up in the pulpit and I say something bizarre, like, oh, I don't know, it's offering time. And the Bible says it is more blessed to than to. But you're sitting there and you came up poor and you have always struggled financially. In your mind, you have a stronghold built. And when I tell you the Word says it's more blessed to give, now there's an argument taking place in your head. Because you hear the Word, but that Word is conflicting with the stronghold that you already have built. So even though the Word has been presented to you, it doesn't affect you. Therefore, it won't help you. Are you with me? I'm trying to get the blessing of God to you, but something in your mind is arguing with everything I say. So when I tell you that God is a healer, but you're sitting here and in your head you hear, but I hurt, and my mama died from this, and I've been praying for healing for years, and I've never got it. There's an argument taking place. There's an argument taking place, and even though the Word is being presented to you, it's not affecting you, and it's not benefiting you, because in here, there's a stronghold arguing with what I'm trying to get to you. So by the knowledge of God going forth, you should be free. We know that your Word will do whatever it's sent out to do, and it will not be hindered. So what's hindering it? Well, when the Word of God goes out... It's meeting the knowledge of the stronghold that's already in your brain. 
So I'm trying to tell you God can heal you, but you're sitting there arguing with me. Because what you already believe is contending with what you have been presented. So the truth that I present to you will only benefit you if you pull down strongholds that you've already built. And where did you get your strongholds? Culture, the family you were raised in, the experiences that you have had. The pain that you have endured, the trauma that you have, all of those things cause you to build strongholds. Maybe you went through a divorce and now you've got a stronghold in your mind. I will never let anybody else get that close to me at all. So God can't even speak blessing into your life. Because you have a stronghold because of what you have already been through has helped you construct this fortress. And the truth of God is being met by the lies of the strongholds. Is this helping anybody? So so when the word goes forth, your brain, your mind won't submit to it. It fights it. And the enemy knows Scripture. The enemy knows the Bible. And he knows that as a man thinks, so is he. So he can keep the truth from benefiting you by making you believe a lie. Mm. So so, so he's got these fortresses in in our minds. And they become a belief system that defines the reality that we live in. So you'll say things like, I don't like my life. I don't like the way I'm living. I, I, don't, like the, the, I don't like what I'm going through. So what do we do? We try to, we try to change our behavior. We try behavior modification. I, I don't like the way I am, so I'm going to read more. I don't like the way I am, I'm going to lose weight. I don't like the way I am, I'm going to become a, a monk, shave my head and Sing kumbaya all day. We try behavior modification. But what you don't understand is changing your life doesn't start by changing what's around you. It changes by changing what's inside of you. So if I change what I believe, I will change what I'm experiencing. If you're bored, shout amen. The scriptures say that Jesus has totally and completely triumphed over evil. Period. Definitively. It's not up for debate. That's a good Easter message, by the way. Okay, the Bible says he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. The Bible says he took the sting out out of death. The Bible says he took Satan in Colossians chapter 3 and made an open mockery of him and shamed him in front of everybody, okay? So how much power does a devil like that have? Jesus thoroughly defeated Satan and the powers of darkness, yes? Yeah, we need to clap. We need to shout. I need to know you got that. Yeah. We need to say amen right there. I need you to know, I need to know that you got that because that is settled. That's settled at promise of victory. That is settled for eternity. Jesus has triumphed over darkness. And because the devil is a defeated foe, he doesn't really have the power that we say he has, right? So I think every one of us, though, would raise our hands this morning and say, okay, so the devil is defeated, but I still struggle with some stuff. Amen? I mean, I'm locked into some stuff that I've been trying to get out of for a long time. And if it's not the devil, what's the hindrance? Because he's defeated. But there's a struggle in my home. There's a struggle in my life. I'm definitely fighting something. 
Hello. I'm, I know that there's something. I can't see it. If I could see it, I'd... I mean, I'm good, at, I'm good at fighting stuff that's up on close to me. But this is, this problem, I can't see it. I don't know what I'm swinging at. I've been, I mean, I've been fighting it for so long, but I, I, I'm definitely fighting something, but I don't know what it is. This book, called the Bible, has 2,000 pages of promises. And Jesus said, they're all mine. Hello? But I have fortresses in my mind that argues with him. So my warfare is not against the devil. It's against my strongholds. And I have to pull every thought down that won't come into agreement with the word. Let me help you. Moses was given the task of leading Israel into where? The what? The promised land. Did, they ever, did he ever get there? The answer is no. But when God sent him, he said, I have given you this land. That's done. It was theirs. He didn't say, if you're strong enough to beat the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites and, the, and all them Ike boys, you can have it. He said, it's yours. But why did it take them 40 years to get something God said was theirs? Answer, because he got them out of Egypt in one night. It took him 40 years to get Egypt out of them because they had strongholds. They could not believe what God said about them. God said, this is your property. They didn't believe him. So every time something went wrong, they said, we don't feel like what God said about us. We feel like grasshoppers. We feel less than what God, God has called us the victor. We don't feel like the victor. He's called us the head. We feel like the tail. He's called us above, but we feel like we're beneath. And because they had strongholds that did not agree with what God said about them, they never got to where they were supposed to go. This thing right here, bound. So, look at your neighbor and say, get unloosed. Yeah, let's just, just get unloosed. Let's get unloosed. In the next, in the next three hours we've got here. Let's get loose. How long it takes you to possess your promise will depend on how much you confront the things that are in your head that contends against it. I'm going to go over to Romans, and I'm going to spend a lot of time giving you a lot of Scripture, and some of them I'm going to give them to you more than once. You ready? Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says, this is my testimony too. I really don't understand myself. I don't really understand myself. Now, I know Apostle Paul gets credit for that, but I could have wrote this. For what I, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Sounds like every time I go to Walmart. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. See, I, I give you the benefit of the doubt. I believe if you're here on Sunday morning, you believe the law is good. I believe that. I give you the benefit of the doubt. There is no doubt in my mind when you come up to this altar and you pray that you're never going to do a certain thing again. I believe in that moment you believe that. That you're committed to it. But the problem is, if you're just trying to cast things off without getting to the root, 
The stronghold never comes down. And the reason you ended up there in the first place is going to come back around on you. So you have to learn how to tear down strongholds because I believe that you agree that the law is good. Verse 17. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now later Paul is going to tell us that if you got saved, sin has lost power over you. In in other words, there was a time in your life that when the devil told you to jump, you said how high? You had no power to resist sin. But Paul says once you surrender to Christ, sin loses its power. That means now when you sin, it's not because sin has power over you. It's because you went willingly. It's because the choices that you made are in alignment with the temptation that the devil brings to you. This is, this is good stuff. So, 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 so he said here, if I'm doing stuff that I, that I hate... That means that there's some sin somewhere. So let you and me hunt for it. Because if I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm still operating in sin, how'd it get there? And why am I so attached to it? Somebody say strongholds. Uh huh. So, 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 so strongholds, strongholds are not out there in the atmosphere. They're not demonic forces in the sky carrying pitchforks with horns on their head and a pointy tail. Strongholds are between your ears. Strongholds are when you believe a lie to be true. Can I, can I get real practical with you? If a woman does not believe she is pretty, you telling her she's beautiful every day will make absolutely no difference to her. If she does not see herself as thin, she will continue to lose weight when you tell her that Maybe you look good. It won't make any difference because she has a strong... Does anybody know what I'm talking about? She, she has a stronghold in her mind. And it doesn't matter how many compliments you feed them. It doesn't matter how often you tell them. If she has a stronghold, you're not penetrating it. Because she has to tear down her strongholds. So bringing her flowers is a nice gesture, but it won't work. <laughs> and, and, and giving her cards and showing her pictures of herself. Look what you used to look like and look what you look like now. It won't make any difference because the you can have evidence, but that won't tear down strongholds. You can't do it for them. They have to do it. It for themselves. So, so when you come to church, I'm presenting to you the truth of God. I'm presenting to you the truth of His Word. But if you have strongholds in your mind that are arguing in your head against what I'm preaching to you, I can't preach you into liberation. That's why so many of us keep falling. It's not because we haven't received the Word. Paul said, I know the law is good. I know what the right thing to do is, but I can't do it. And some of you are like that. Some of us are like that. So the answer to what the enemy has power, when we ask the question, what's the devil actually have power over your life? Here's what he has power to do. You ready? He has power to lie to you. He has the power to lie to you. And that might, take, that might be all it takes to hinder you. Because if he lies to you and you believe the lie, the rest will take care of itself. Because if you believe a lie, you will live a lie. Because what you embrace to be true starts defining your reality. That's why the Bible says the devil is the father of lies. And there is no truth in him. Because if he's moving his mouth, he's lying. 
And then if you listen to his lies, guess what happens? You pick up the habit. So when he says that you are sick and you listen to it long enough, you develop a stronghold and you start repeating what you heard. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Because once you start believing the lie, you start creating a reality based off the stronghold that you did not tear down. So, so, so here's what I need you to understand. You start hearing, nobody loves me. And you start believing, nobody loves me. And when the kids don't call for three or four days, you're convinced now. Because you are building a stronghold and giving him property inside your mind that nobody loves me. And somebody say, that's a lie. Hmm? See, that devil is a lie. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world. There has never been a moment you weren't loved. There's never been an instant that you weren't loved. God has always, the whole world could abandon you, but you have always been loved. No matter what you've done, no matter what sins you've committed, your Father in heaven has always loved you. But you would be shocked what people go out and do because they feel unloved. And all they have is a stronghold that's lying to them, telling them, convincing them, and now they're creating a reality based on a lie. Because strongholds are built when lies are believed to be the truth. That's why the weapons of our warfare are mighty for pulling down lies. You've got to tear down. That's why you have to know the truth. That, that way when you, when you are presented with two options and you know which one is the truth, you will follow the truth and cast the lie down. So, so if God says you're the head and you look at your life and you say, this is not what a head is supposed to look like. <laughs> when God says you're blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you lay down, blessed when you get up and you look around and you say, well, my hot water tank just went out and my engine blew up and the dog bit me and the mailman forgot my mail and I ain't got paid in three weeks. This does not look like my reality. But if you start believing what you're telling yourself, you'll start believing a stronghold that you're not blessed, that you are actually cursed. That's why you have to learn how to tear down those thoughts and realize where they came from. Yeah. Now let me tell you something that's clinical. I'm going to give you some. I'm going to give you some facts from uh, science and clinical things today because this part's not faith. This is th- th- this is clinical. You have to learn how to deal with your thoughts. Here's why: you can't let thoughts just randomly rest in your head because you've got to be intentional about your thought life. Because once you get saved, this is the battleground. It's no longer your soul. Here's what clinical psychologists tell us. When a thought appears in your brain, you have about 30 seconds to deal with it before there's a feeling attached to the thought. And now instead of just dealing with a thought, you have a thought and a feeling, and those two are more powerful than the thought was by itself. Let me give you an example. If I start thinking about all the things in my life that I don't appreciate right now. I miss my babies. I miss my children. I'm not happy at work. I, 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 don't, have, I don't have anybody to help me. I, I'm sick in my body. I've got some problems uh, in, my, in paying my bills. If that's what I start thinking about, you've got about 30 seconds before depression shows up. 
If you don't deal with that random thought, you've got about 30 seconds before all of a sudden depression starts showing up right here. And now you've got depression to deal with when at first all you had to deal with was a random thought. Now, now, the reason I bring this up is because it also works like this. She walks by and this thing goes... Mm. I ain't saw nothing like that in a long time. Careful, John Wayne. You got about 30 seconds to deal with that. Before this thing kicks in. And once that moves to here, I'll show you in a minute. I'll show you in a minute. So, so... Matter of fact, let, 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 me, uh, let, let me help you. I'm, I'm going I'm bring, to bring the bobs out. We're gonna, the bobs are going to help me. But we're going to move them this week. Everybody remembers flesh bob, right? Yeah. So, uh, he's still saved. He's got his promise of Victor Beanie on. Okay. We got all, the whole gangs here this week. We're going, we're going out in style. Yeah, see this guy here, he's the soul, he is what? Mind, will, and emotions. Oh yeah, that's what gets you in trouble. See, if I get your mind right, you'll, you'll quit living on emotions. But all them love songs, is you're hooked on a feeling. You're hooked all right, sucker. <laughs> so so, so let's, 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 uh. Let's look at Romans 7 and 20. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is a sin living in me that does it. Now I want to first show you, Paul is talking to Christians. He's not talking to people that's never been in church. He's talking to people that have submitted their lives to Christ. So he is talking to people that got saved but are still doing stupid stuff. I thought I got two witnesses in here. I got, I got, I got two. I got two of you. So verse 21, he says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I never let me do what is wrong. So let me help you right here. We got the spirit. We've got the soul. What's the soul? The mind, the will, <laughs> and the emotions. And then we got flesh bob. Uh-huh. What did I tell you a few weeks ago? These two are the bridges and the mind and the heart will bridge the soul with the flesh or with the spirit those are the two things that you have to bring under submission if you don't want to live like this guy so let me explain it to you before you got saved these two guys lived together and they had a fine time These two got along great. He would send signals through these two bridges to this guy. Because all he has is impulse. He's the decision maker. He's got this big old brain in this little bitty cranium right here. He's the one that has to decide to follow this or follow this. All this guy does is see her walking by and he goes... All he does is go into the liquor store and say, hmm... All he does is see the ability to steal from his boss and says, that looks right. All he has is impulse. He's the one that makes the decisions. 
And when they were, before you came to church and got saved, these two got along great. He would send impulses, and this guy decided whether or not we was going to get tore up tonight. That was their relationship, and they got along just fine. Then you came to promise a victory and got saved. And this guy moved in. And the apartment started getting crowded. Because two is company, but three is a crowd. And now all of a sudden, some of you, some of you have bought into the lie, well, you just need to do what makes you feel good. Or you need to do what makes you happy. YOLO! Let me tell you something. If you want the worst, messed up, jacked up life you have ever experienced, turn this joker loose for a little while and tell me how that works out for you. Because he don't know what he wants. He wants one thing in the morning. He wants a brunette by dark. Y'all not going to help me. He, he, he likes blondes in the morning, brunettes by night. He don't know what he wants. He is up. He's down. Paul says in verse 18, there is no good that lives here. Not one good thing lives here. The problem is he's the one that's been sending you signals all these years. So he's the only one you ever learned to listen to. Is this helping anybody? So he is sending him signals, and if he says yes to his signals, to an agreement, they act it out. So now what? That thought has graduated to conduct and behavior. So your mess did not start when you acted on it. Your mess started when you listened to the impulse that was buried in a stronghold. And now... You came and got saved. And the Bible says for the first time your spirit comes alive. For the first time. You've gotten impulses now. Input now. From somewhere that you've never heard from before. And this guy don't like anything this guy likes. Like nothing. Like he, there is nothing this guy likes that this guy's in favor of. Everything that you have been getting impulses from all these years is now conflicting with who you're trying to listen to. And this dude is confused. Because all these years he's been getting his orders from this guy and now this guy's showing up saying, I don't like any of that stuff. And you are expecting to change just because you put your name on a membership book. But look what Paul says, verse 23. But I see another law in my members. He says, I, I, now I'm conflicted. I'm confused because I see another law trying to get my mind to draw the wrong conclusions. So he says, I delight in the law of the Spirit, I, in, the, in the law of the, of the Word here. This guy loves Scripture. This guy loves prayer. This guy, when he comes into the apartment... This guy has to run and hide all of his stuff. He's got he's to hide all of his links to his porn. He's got to hide his weed. He's got to hide his bottles. He's got to hide his pills. When this guy walks into the apartment, shame comes with him. This guy hates that guy. My goodness. This guy hates this guy because he makes him feel guilty. And what happens is there's a conflict that goes on. Listen to what he says. I love Jesus in this guy. 
I want to do the right thing. I want to live for him. I want to be pleased with my life. But this guy's been running the show for so long. Listen to what else it says. Warring against the law of my mind. Bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. Did you catch that? Bringing me into captivity. So this guy won't ever shut up. He won't ever stop. He's constantly trying to get my life locked into the same cycle, messing with the same guy, bringing the same jokers home, parading the same mess in front of me, doing the same thing, taking the same drug, working on the same addiction, over and over, dating the same people, over and over, because that's all he knows. He knows what makes him happy, and that's all he knows. Are you with me? So everybody you see that comes to church, this is what you see. And they do wrong stuff sometimes. And you call them hypocrites. But read that scripture again. They're not, there are genuine hypocrites. The Pharisees were genuine hypocrites. There are people that deliberately undo what God says to do. But most people you know that are soulish, they're not hypocrites. They're captives. They're not, they're not hypocrites. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'd love to be a great hypocrite today. No, they're captives because this guy has been telling them what to do for so long. And now they know that they're supposed to do what this guy says. But they don't know how to bring this guy under subjection because they've got strongholds they've never dealt with. So there's lies embedded in their head. And even though they want to do right, Paul says, that's not the stuff I do. I end up doing the stuff I know I'm not supposed to. And so, so when you leave the atmosphere of this room, it would be great if this followed you everywhere you went. But when you leave the atmosphere of this room, you have to deal with this. And you've got to deal with, with him. So, so nobody wakes up and says, I want to be a hypocrite today. So you got saved. And that's fine. But that didn't affect this guy at all. <laughs> I mean, he'll go to church. But he ain't saved. And just because you got saved last Sunday, don't expect this thing to get on board right away either. Because it's been getting its signals all of its life from this guy right here. So, so, so he's not saved. He's being saved, and he's totally committed. Do you understand why this apartment is a mess? Uh huh. So you got saved, but he hasn't been affected by that decision. Look at verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The Romans had two ways to kill you uh, Back in Jesus' time, back in Paul's time when he wrote this, the first one was crucifixion. We see that in Jesus, right? The other way was if you murdered someone, the Romans would take the dead corpse and tie it to you. And they would tie it to you neck to neck, shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow, joint to joint, knee to knee, ankle to ankle. And you would have to carry that dead corpse around with you. Until the body began to decay and the gangrene would eat into your body and kill you. 
It was a slow, torturous, stinky, maniacal, evil way to kill someone. But it was the death penalty that the Romans used if they did not crucify you. And that's the imagery that Paul says here. He said, oh wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? He said, I've got this old joker that has been laying around my house, eating up all my food, contributing nothing to the apartment anymore because I want to be with this guy. I want to be with him, but I can't get out of this relationship. I've been married to this guy for so long I've been, I've, been, I've been a partner to this guy for so long I don't know how to get rid of him Even though I want to be with him I don't know how to get Oh wretched man that I am I don't like this guy anymore But who will free me From this body of death Does that feel like the struggle That anybody else has in their life Or is it just me and Paul He said, I want to do right, but this guy won't leave him alone. Every day I wake up, I got to tell him to sit down and shut up. Because he's been sending these signals all these years through these two bridges. And I don't know how to get him to shut up. Verse 25, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the what? With the what? The mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So now you see, the way to get this guy to shut up and serve this guy is you've got to have a made-up mind. This is the key to everything. So let's review. My mind is my soul, it is my will, it is my emotions. My spirit is my inner man, which delights in the law of God. My flesh is the mess that has been created and I've been carrying it all these years. Some of y'all don't think, some of y'all think it's the devil that's been destroying your life. No. It's because you turned him loose. Listen, listen. He don't need help from the devil. Let's get something straight. He don't need no help from the devil. If you want to mess your life up, just turn him loose. It'll be messed up before you go to bed at night. He'll have you in some ungodly mess before you can even get your head on the pillow tonight. He don't need help from the devil. He is bad all by himself. And, and, and the reason some of us are still bound is because we still get our signals from this guy. Whatever he says makes his heart twitch. So we know that the Spirit has been saved. Say yes. We know that he is working on it. Say yes. And we know that this guy ain't never going to get saved. Listen, I'm going to tell you. Because I came up in the old church that tried to save this guy. Oh, yes. I came up in the holiness church. They thought they could save this guy. So they told him how he had to dress. They told him what clothes to wear to church. They told him what time to be at church. And if you're going to be a man of God, you have to do this. And you have to wear that. You've got to have a certain haircut. And all the women had to have their hair this way and sleeves down to here and, 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 and dresses down to here. Because they were trying to save this guy. But can I tell you, this guy will never get saved. The Bible says he will get uh, immortal when it's cast off. In other words, when you get rid of this guy for good and you put on an immortal body, you get a glorified body, you're, you're going you're to leave this guy behind once and for all because you're going to go home where you belong and there you're going to get a glorified body that's when he's finally he won't ever get saved Bible says he'll go back to the dust from which he was created so he don't ever get saved you'll get a glorified body he is so wretched God won't even let him go to heaven he is such a mess that when you get to heaven you get 
you get to trade in your lease on another version. I'm believing there's a big old iPad up there, and I just get to pick what I want. And the first thing I'm getting is a head full of hair. You can, you, you can, you can believe it any way you want to, but I'm believing. I'm, I'm going for the Absalom or the Samson model myself. That's, a, that's, that's the one I'm after. I want the long flowing locks. Y'all won't even recognize me when y'all see me fishing in heaven. Y'all say, where'd Bishop get all that hair from? But listen, <laughs> I don't really believe that that's what a glorified body is. You know what a glorified body is? It's a body that don't fight me anymore. It's a body that doesn't resist me. See, right now, I'm here. This is me. This is you. This is your reality. You've got these two bridges. And right now, this guy is at war with this guy over this guy. And this guy fights this guy every time he tries to follow him. So when I finally get a glorified body, it means I'm getting rid of this guy totally, and I'm getting one that won't fight me anymore, one that will go along with what my desires are. So here's the conflict. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm confused. This is not fun. That's what Paul was saying here. I was with him. We had a lot of problems. We, we made them ourselves. But at least I wasn't confused. And now I got two sets of desires coming at me, and I don't know which one to follow. Do you know which one? I'm going to help you, and I'm going to end this, okay? We're going to end this series with two thoughts. Number one, you know, do you know which one of these is going to eventually win? The one you feed the most. Yeah. Anything that has to grow has to be fed. And now you wonder why you keep doing what you do. All you have to do is look at what you're feeding yourself. Because you've had him on Instagram for seven hours. Watching Netflix until three o'clock in the morning. With questionable things feeding yourself. You are pumping music into his ears. That have questionable lyrics at best. You are putting him in positions. That feeds his desires and intents. Knowing you shouldn't be alone with that person. Knowing you shouldn't be in the backseat of that car. Knowing you shouldn't be in that trap house. Knowing you shouldn't be in that bar. You keep compromising what you know with what you want. And you are feeding him. And you're coming to church on Sunday and getting 30 minutes of preaching. And you're wondering why he can't be heard and he never shuts up. Because you're coming to church on Sunday and you think one little brunch on Sunday is going to feed this guy to overload what he's been. But you've been feeding him all week. You've been feeding. You, some of y'all fed him up until the wee hours before you got here today. You give him everything he wants. You meet all of his desires. If he gets an impulse, you meet it. And then you come to church and you think one 30-minute session in the sanctuary is going to overload what you've been and you wonder why the flesh is a monster and the Spirit's voice is unrecognizable in your life. See, you don't read your Bible to memorize verses. You read your Bible to grow your spirit. It, okay? You don't go to church 
And, and I hope you don't come to church because we got a good children's ministry. I, I hope it's not because we got the most kicking music or because we got the nicest facility. Because you need a word. You need the word of God. And, and we can have all that stuff, but we also need a word. Because it is the word that is going to build up your spirit. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to know the difference between the truth and a lie. And you're going to be able to tell this joker, sit down and shut up. I've had enough of you. You've done enough damage in my life. I'm going to follow him now. But if you don't have enough word in you, you won't know how to resist him. That's what Romans 8 and 1 says. There is now, okay, stop right here, stop right here. People halfway read the Bible. Because when you get saved, somebody's going to inevitably come on your Facebook page and say, Oh, go girl. Don't you know now there is no condemnation? I know I ain't the only one saw some, some heresy and it wasn't Sandy. On Facebook, somebody just got saved and then they went out and got drunked up and ended up in jail. And somebody says, oh, don't worry about it. There is now no, don't you know the Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Comma. We keep putting a period where Paul put a comma. You got to keep reading. Who do not walk according to that guy. In other words, if you're still walking according to him, You ought to feel condemnation because he is inside of you screaming, that's not who you are anymore. You don't act like that anymore. That's not who we are anymore. The Bible says not to grieve this guy. You know how you grieve him? I I used to wonder when I was a young kid and, and, and Pentecostals have the craziest theology about everything. You know how you grieve him? When you invite him into the apartment, but you let this guy run the show. And he keeps taking you to places you know you ain't supposed to be. And into relationships you know you're not supposed to be into. And into habits and addictions that you thought you was done with. This guy gets sad. Because that guy says, that's not who you are anymore. And you're following the wrong voice. That's why we have to tear down strongholds. Verse 5, he says this, for those that live according to the flesh, here's the key, here's the key. We're we're done with this guy. We don't care what he thinks anymore. We have one key. For those who live according to the what? Flesh. What do they do? Uh Uh-huh. They set. They set. Do you hear that action verb? They set. Set to the tearing down of strong. They set. I have to do something. I have to decide. That's not what I want to do anymore. That's not who I want to be anymore. I have to set my mind. I'm either set toward him or I'm set toward him. But the decision is not the devil's. It's not his fault. It's mine. 
set their minds on the things of the flesh. You can set it toward him or you can set it toward so wherever you pointed your mind, your life is headed in that direction. So if you set it on him and his stuff, that's what you're going to get. Now I can be whatever I want to be. I can do whatever I want to do if I set my mind to it. Because if I start thinking about my blessings, my wife got to see our grandbaby yesterday. I got to FaceTime her yesterday. And if I start thinking about that, I set my mind on that, joy will flood my soul. And there ain't a devil in hell can bring me down. And at the same time, if I set my mind on all the stuff I've lost, and all the stuff that's going wrong in my life and around the world, and then I can go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, and the devil didn't do a thing. It was right here where I set my mind. Look at verse 6. You want to know what the, you, you want to know what the problem is? To be carnally minded is death. So if I set my mind on him, I'm inviting death into that arena. If I set my, my, my marriage on what he thinks... I'm inviting death into my marriage. If I set my economy, my finances on what he thinks and what he wants, I'm inviting death into my finances. Because to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life. <sighs> life and what? Oh, say it again with feeling. Peace. Oh, the older I get, the more I appreciate peace. <sighs> I'd rather you give me peace than a thousand dollars. Listen, if you're drama filled, I will avoid you like COVID. I got no time for drama. The older I get, the more peace I appreciate in my life. I mean, I will just click clean off of Facebook just to find some peace. Amen. So if I set my mind on him, it's life and peace. Look at verse 7. Because the carnal mind. Enmity, I told you that that means against. Against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. It is impossible for you to leave your mind alone and live right. It's impossible. Because my mind becoming like God isn't natural. Becoming like Him is natural. So if you leave your mind alone and you don't try to improve it, you're going to always live like this joker because this is what comes natural. You have to be intentional to pull down strongholds. And matter of fact, let's just jump right to the end of this. You know my favorite. If you've been with us any time at all, you know my two favorite verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. This guy. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your, it's the least you can do. It's to present your body as a living, it's the least you can do. And be not conformed to this guy, 
But be ye by the So if you conform to him, you're brainless. You know most of the stuff he's got you into made you shake your head. I, 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 I. You know, you know some of the stuff he got you into. The first thing out of your mouth the next day was, what was I? Yeah, that's just it. You wasn't. You wasn't thinking. Because if you'd have been thinking, you'd have been following this guy. But he got, don't be conformed to this guy. But be ye by the renewing of, which should be fixed on, on him. So we got to make him think like him. So that when he speaks, he makes a decision. So that I will follow what he delights in. Uh, the Bible says, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Because he knows what I really am. And I went to church for years thinking that Christianity was a behavioral modification course. I had to modify, bring this body under subjection. That's what it says. But can I tell you how long that'll last? Not long. You'll bring this body under subjection. But if you don't ever get this thing right, you can develop habits over time, but those habits can go away. Like I'll eat clean. I'll eat good for like three months. And then Rhoda will have a chocolate life class. Karen will start bringing me German chocolate cake that should be against the law. I think there's cocaine in that thing. And all of a sudden, three months worth of clean eating, gone. Every Friday, I'm like Jones, and I'm like a, I'm like an addict in the back going, I wonder what she's going to bring this week. I wonder what she's going to bring this week. <sighs> Got to get a fix. What happens? You can't modify your behavior. You have to tear down strongholds because you need your desires to change. You don't need to develop Christian habits. This doesn't need to be a place you hang out on Sundays. You need your desires to change. I told people since the time I got saved, I can do anything I want to do. The, the difference is my want-tos have changed. Because once I started following this guy, there's stuff that grieves him that makes me sad. I don't want to hurt him. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I hope I don't hurt nobody's feelings this morning. But if bringing them into my life hurts him, they have to step. I'm keeping him. If I have to compromise him to take a job, I'll get another job. If I have to compromise him to have a relationship with her, she's got to step. I'm keeping him. But too many of us are trying to modify our behaviors. Enemy's got David on the run in 1 Samuel chapter 22. The enemy has David on the run. And David is running around in circles. He ends up in a cave called a Adullam. Anybody ever feel like your life is just running in circles? Yeah. 
David's got, I mean, he's just running in circles. Saul is trying to kill him. David's trying to stay ahead of him. And he's just running in circles. And he ends up in a cave with 400 people. And, and, and it's the, it couldn't have been worse people for him to keep. It was the discouraged, the broke, and the, and the sad, the depressed. 400 of them showed up in the cave and said, we're going to be on your team. We're going to be on Team David. And so now they're running around and they're just running in circles. And, and the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 5, a prophet came to David and said, Do not stay in the stronghold. You're running in circles, going nowhere. Do not stay in the stronghold. You have to be deliberate and you have to be intentional. It's time to make a change. That's what he's saying. It's time to make a change. You have, but you have to be intentional and deliberate. And look at the next word. Depart. In other words, you've done this long enough. Aren't you tired of just going? Aren't you tired of calling yourself a Christian, but you're still hateful? You're still mean and nasty, and nobody likes to be around you, but you call yourself a child of God, but you come across as, as mean and arrogant or, or, or distrustful, and people don't want to do business with you because they say that. I mean, aren't you tired of just going around in the same? Aren't you tired of dating the same person? Aren't you tired of having the same addiction hanging around? Aren't you tired of that same old thought? Every time that person comes around, you get mean, and you get depressed, and you get up. Aren't you tired? He says, depart. I mean, do something about it. Get out of here. Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart. How are we going to do it? Go to the land of Judah. Uh, can I help you? Neurological scientists have discovered that your brain cannot focus on two things at the same time this is science not Bible this is fact not faith neurological science has this has decided and determined your brain some of y'all your brain can't focus on one thing at a time that's another sermon for another time but none of us have the ability for our brain to focus on two things at the same time. In other words, I can't have this focused on him and him at the same time. So if I want to tear down strongholds, if I'm tired of going in circles, if I want to change the way I'm thinking, if I want to change my life, I have to learn how to get this pointed in this direction. And how to do that? I got to go to Judah, baby. I got to go to Judah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go to church because I can't have my mind on depression and praise. I can't have. I. Uh, it won't work. I can't have my mind set this way and that way. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I can't have my mind set on being angry and being praised at the same time. As a matter of fact, throw up what Paul says in Philippians 4 and 8. Here's what he says you need to set your mind on. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent. Think about the things worthy up praise so if I want to change my mind 
I've got to learn how to praise Him. And I've got to learn to praise Him in the valley. Praise Him when everything's falling apart. Praise Him at the doctor's office. Praise Him at the cemetery. Praise Him when I don't have a reason to praise Him. Whatever's going on in my existence. Can't let myself get back to the place where He's calling the shots. If my mind can only be focused on one thing, Paul says, focus it on something that is worthy of praise. And I know some of you are sitting here saying, Pastor, you don't know what my life is like now. No, but I know you still got life. You woke up this morning and there's air in your lungs. Your eyes flapped open this morning. I, I went out to the parking lot. Didn't none of y'all ride no donkey here. You got transportation. You had a roof over your head. You had a warm bed to sleep in. Yeah, you got troubles and trials. But if you focus your mind on this guy and what is worthy of praise, you won't let those things bring you down. You've got to get to Judah. Shoo! You've got to get. Did you? I just gave you a year's worth of counseling in two hours. You can cancel your your counselor's therapy session now, Pastor. It can't be that easy. Well, then you don't believe the word. Because the Word says I can't focus my mind on one thing, so let me focus it on the things that are worthy of praise. So I want everybody in this room to close your eyes. Because I don't want you looking at the stuff that's depressing you. And I don't want you looking at the stuff that's making you upset. And I don't want you looking at your bank account. And I don't want you looking at the person sitting beside of you. I want you to focus your mind on what you got to be happy about. Is it worthy of praise? Because somebody's about to get unbound. So, somebody's about to get loose in here. Oh, I know you got offended. I know you got hurt. I know you got ab- abused. I know you got neglected. But won't you get your mind off of that and focus on the one that said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll go with you all the way to the ends of the earth. Won't you focus on the one that has never done you anything but good? Why don't you focus on the one that had he not been on your side, you wouldn't even have made it this far. I know your troubles are many and your life is not where you want it to be but had it not been for the Lord on your side the devil would have knocked you out of the game a long time ago but you're still here and the fact that you're still here means you got something to get happy about you got something to shout about you got a reason to praise set your mind on what is good in your life and let go the stuff that has been holding you bound praise team are you ready to get us happy because we, we got to pray. We got to go to Judah. We got to go to Judah. Start, start doing something. Start doing something. And every person in this place, every person in this place that has been bound long enough, I want you to make your way down to this altar. But listen, I know some of y'all came out of different churches. I know some of y'all are different, uh, have used to different atmospheres. I know some of y'all have never been uh, near somebody as crazy as me. You don't have to. You don't have to jump. You don't have to shout. You don't have to run. But you do have to praise. Yeah, you, 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 got, you got to learn how to praise your way into Judah. You, you, you got to get your, because you can't think about your upsetness if your mind is focused on what you're praising about. So get up out of your seat. Everybody that needs to get loose needs to get down to this altar. This is the culmination of, of three months of preaching right here. So we can get, oh, <laughs> we're going to Judah. We're going to Judah. Devil, you should have got us before we got to church this morning because we're on our way to church. <laughs> Somebody needs to shout. Somebody 